This is Bragg, son of Balin, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. calls for aid and Brog shall answer I'm on Dean welcome back to light the beacons a low to a podcast focusing on low-tech microphones subpar sound effects and slipshod editing oh and did I mention a little outro and all things Tolkien this is episode number 53 and I'm your host brag of the lonely mountain the Sultan of shield swipe the Earl of Agro Warden of the Warning Beacons and Dwarf of Ill Repute. Uh, couldn't they have had a title to say Lighter of Beacons? There's actually a quest in the game that you can get to light a beacon. Couldn't that have been one for Light the Beacons? All we have is the deed title, Warden of the Warning Beacons, which is about as close as we can get. So that is the one I foresee myself wearing in-game uh, for much of my future existence. We'll see how long until I get tired of it. It uh, does replace Lord of the Wings, which was my chicken run title from going all the way to from uh, from Sanderson's farm to the top of Minas Tirith and taking the Kentucky Fried Chicken Plunge. I am broadcasting live from temporary LTB MEWHQ atop the beacon of Elanok. This is number two of seven in our beacon-specific LTB uh, HQ series. And let's take a look at the view while we have a minute. Why don't we? Uh, it's beautiful up here. It's not my favorite beacon view, but it's close. Uh, as I look to the east, I can see the craggy hilltops surrounding Amandine itself. Um, the mountain looms on my right with a giant waterfall trailing down into Tor Duodan. And as I look west, I can see the beacon of Nardal with a fantastic bridge extending from it uh, down into the south. There's a, a lesser um, tower that stands just to the, the south of the beacon of Nardal as well. Uh, rocky, craggy bluffs with with uh, coniferous trees clinging to it. To the north, I can see the Antwash extending as far as the eye can see. Can't quite see to the fall of Roros. It's just outside of my visibility today. On a clear day and without the gloom of Mordor, I do think it would be visible. And as I look a little bit to the west, I can see uh, past Nardal to the beacon of Elanok, which is not quite as impressive sitting on the hillside as the mountaintop beacons of Amandine, Elanok, and Nardal. But uh, impressive nonetheless that we can see it from this distance. I do see the top of the hill that I believe would house the final beacon of Halafurian from here, but uh, but it, it is obscured from view. And as I look back towards the west, the uh, it is just dawn here, uh, and uh, there is lightning striking above the red skies of Mordor. Uh, there is a lightning of the skies to the north and the south, uh, but the, the light red of Mordor's gloom does dominate the horizon from here. 
So, it is a, a beautiful view to start our podcast from. It's been a while since I've been with you. I'm still recovering from an extended stay in the Houses of Healing, caring for a close family member. And uh, all I can say about that is that uh, all's well that ends well, as they say. And uh, everything, hopefully, is uh, turning out for the better from that regard. But it has cut quite a bit into my gaming of late. Uh, prior to that, I did do a, a two-week trip um, out on holiday across the other side of the pond. And uh, I did not hook up with uh, Roger Edwards of Contain Moderate Peril and Burton and Scrooge fame, but I did notice his podcast restarted while I was over there. So I'm not saying there's a connection, but I'm not saying there ain't. Uh, with that, I think it's time to move on to our second beacon of Ilanoch. Well, um, as usual, we will first deal with a lot of CRAP corrections, retractions, and apologies from last week. Uh, during the time that I've been away, I'm pretty sure I offended all my viewers, uh, agree to disagree. And uh, during that time, we also offended, uh, in my last episode, the Vilia Apocalyptic Goodbye Club, Pun Revilers, uh, Batman, the Druidane, and Update 18.1 developers. And to all that were those that were offended, Grima offers a very solemn and heartfelt sorry. Uh, viewer comments. Uh, again, agree to disagree. Uh, on iTunes reviews, we are over in 2016, and for the last six or seven months for that matter, if you want to join this illustrious vacuum of reviewers, then continue to do absolutely nothing. LTBCOT.com comments. Uh, I did get a uh, mention from Braggenthorn, who wrote in to mention he detected some beacon envy from uh, the, some of the other Lotro podcasts out there uh, with the uh, with the arrival of uh, Update 18.1. And also a friend of the show, Tom York, who mentioned that he accidentally, he thought uh, after... Uh, after viewing the last episode of LTB, uh, agreed to disagree, he accidentally thought he had downloaded Light the Bat Signal instead of Light the Beacons, uh, given my extended review of Arkham Asylum. Good one. And the Twitter sphere, you got to tweet them for me to read them. Uh, not much going on there beyond the usual rigmarole. But in Community Spotlight, I did want to mention, first of all, the return of Burton and Scrooge, as mentioned previously. They seem to be sticking with a guest, uh, a guest star category uh, for this latest edition. <laughs> Who knows how many times they'll even come back. It's kind of like, uh, what does it remind me of? Uh, you know, the, the guy that dies in uh, Money Python and the Holy Grail. He's not quite dead yet. He's getting better. And uh, but glad to hear them back, and uh, with, it, with whatever frequency they're willing to broadcast, I will be willing to listen. Uh, I did also want to mention uh, uh, Beyond Boss Fights, uh, excellent blog post uh, that came out a couple weeks ago on the perceived incompatibilities between religion and gaming, which was uh, one of the better written pieces I'd read in some time, and also inspired some very thoughtful and interesting responses from the community, so recommend you go check that out, and a bit more on that perhaps later in this episode. Uh, he also uh, just came out with a 2.5 year anniversary episode, and rumor has it I defiled that broadcast as well, so I do encourage you to give that a listen, and uh, to recommend that he never have me guess again. Um, Lotro Players Update 18 review came out this past week, and uh, they had quite a detailed commentary on all the different aspects of the 
of the uh, of the update. I think the grades were pretty much in line with most of the, the the ones that have come out fairly recently. High marks for the landscape and for the epic story. Not so much for the quest lines or any of the kind of exciting mechanics. One of the things they didn't mention in the podcast, which I thought was one of the bigger features of Update 18, was the featured instance uh, functionality that came out. Uh, which was largely ignored. I do think that it has had a big impact on the game, on the content that's being run, and the activity of the world channel and grouping in general. Um, so I think it is a big deal whether you don't like whether you like it or not. I myself am a I'm a fan of the featured instance functionality, although I do believe that. Um, that uh, we're probably going at this point into our third rotation for the featured instances that are being shared, at least. Uh, I think we've at least been through most of them twice at this point, maybe coming up in the third iteration. And uh, at that point, I will say there will probably start to be some fatigue running those saved six instances that have been selected. So I am hoping that uh, either at 18.2 or even beforehand, if possible, they will add an additional number of uh, instances to the rotation. I think if we can get maybe six more in there, so we're working through uh, at least 12, that should tide over the crowd for some uh, much longer period of time because uh, they'll come around uh, much less frequently. You know, you'll be looking at one every every two or three months, you'll be running the same one as opposed to every two or three weeks and uh, would probably be much more palatable. So hopefully that will continue as well. Um... What else? Uh, so one thing I did want to remark on, I was listening to the podcast, one of the highlights they featured, spoiler alert, was the end of Goladir at the, during the epic story. And uh, that was indeed an epic moment. Uh, I have heard some people make fun of it to say it was a little um, Legolasian from the uh, Peter Jackson movies in terms of his ability to pull off, you know, jumping off a swinging axe to plunge a sword deep into the troll's heart. But uh, I thought it was a pretty epic moment. I enjoyed it myself. And, uh, you know, he's a suitable character to get that heroic of an ending. One thing I did want to remark about that uh, no one on the podcast noted, and uh, actually I went out to the forums looking for uh, some conversation about this, and I haven't seen any as of yet. So has anyone else noticed that at the end of Goladir, when he's uh, he has his last few words to yourself and Coronir, one of the last things he says um, is, uh, of course, that uh, he's content to die while thinking of Lorneal. Uh, but the second to last thing he says is a request to Coronir to look after Wenda. And I actually, at first, when I saw that line, and there's like a dot, dot, dot after it, as if he's dying, it's kind of like, you know, um, you can find it at the castle. Ah! Look, if he was dying, he wouldn't carve Arg on the rock. He'd just say it. Well, that's what's written on the rock. So, anyway, I thought it was maybe a trail off and that he hadn't completed the word. When to what? You know, is it Wenda? Was there a town of Wenda something that I missed somewhere? Was there a, a relative that he had that started with Wenda? Is there a Wendell? Is there a Wendacity somewhere about? Is is he speaking Wendaciously? Um, I wasn't really sure, so I had to go to the Lotro wiki to look it up. And in fact, there is an NPC back in Talmathedras, uh, in the sub-village of Termorva, whose name is Wenda. And if you do some research on what quests she is involved in, she's a Dunlending who is uh, the significant other or the beloved 
of uh, a character, a Dunlending character that we saved long ago. It b- turns out to be the Dunlending that was in uh, Laed Oga in Enidwaith um, that had been captured that we uh, that we saved after he kind of came north to to warn us. And uh, as it turns out, uh, Wenda is his betrothed, and there was a quest where. Um, where the uh, the Dunlending's mother asked us to go tell Wenda about his fate and that he should be returning to uh, to Talmathedris soon. So I, I do remember that quest vaguely, uh, but I don't remember the connection between uh, between Goladir and Wenda. Uh, was she standing near him as he was collecting apples in the? In the uh, you know in the arbor down there, or uh, was was there some line of dialogue between them? Somehow, they're pointing out that there's a connection there that I don't recall. So, here's a call going out to the viewers who might have more recently executed that quest chain and might have noticed some kind of interaction between Golandir and Wenda. And if there was none that was overt at the time of the class quest. You know, what could that imply? So hopefully in a future epic storyline, at some point, Coronir will be able to return to Talmathedras and look over Wenda and uh, make sure that she is safe. And perhaps we'll find out what the connection was between her and Goladir. Was there perhaps a, a little bit of a tryst that occurred? And she's with child? That would be scandalous. Who knows? Uh, but uh, it was curious. Um, you know, I think there's definitely a point to it that I can't see at this point. So, curious in your interpretation of that and what might be involved if I missed something in the initial run through or if you uh, have some speculation about it. Uh, and that's. Uh, the only thing I wanted to mention about that. So let's move on to what's been going on in the forums the last couple of weeks. Well, first of all, there's been a lot of discussion regarding, uh, I guess you could say, Gardageddon or maybe Armageddon, uh, the nerfing of the guards DPS. And, uh, you know, at this point, the, the issue's been trashed several times. So I'll just say I'm in agreement that their self heals were a bit out of control and should have been nerfed, but not by decreasing their DPS. Uh, when soloing, you know, their DPS was already challenged, so that's not the area that we wanted to nerf. You just wanted to be able to nerf the amount of self-heals coming from those bleeds. So, um, you know, people are upset that they didn't beta test this and the guards have been hurt soloing. I haven't had any trouble soloing any content in my guard. You know, the thing I can't do now that I used to be able to do is to, you know, run into maybe a room of 20 or solo an instance that I could previously, which I shouldn't be able to do anyway. Uh, but... Um, I do think hurting their DPS was uh, was a mistake. So hopefully that'll be restored soon. And the um, you know I've seen the devs being interactive with the folks out on the guard um, out on the guard specific uh, Lotro forum pages. So hopefully there's a fix for that coming soon. And the other big item that came out was the halting of turbine phone support. I understand where this is coming from. I do think it's another indication of a you know decline in the company's finances. You know, if it's not being used as much, obviously they can better focus uh, their support efforts in game. Uh, hopefully, improving the support that you get via tickets. You know, the biggest problem that people had is they said when we called in, we got good service, even if we were waiting 15 minutes. If I issue a ticket in game, sometimes the GM doesn't come back for two hours. I've already signed off. He closes the ticket, which is frustrating. Agreed with that. So 
hopefully that can be improved somewhat since there's no longer a phone option. Um, or if you do have need some more important hand-holding, hopefully that will be available in some form or fashion. But I am sad to see it go. It is a, a sign that their, you know, their staffing budget is continuing to be trimmed from here to here. And, and phone support is an expensive operation. I've been involved with uh, enough cost centers to know. So, what's going on in this week's episode? We're going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing in-game these past few weeks. Many weeks, unfortunately. We'll reflect upon the potential trade-offs between gaming and practicing your faith. And we will discuss the top 10 views or vistas in the Lotro landscape. Lastly, if we have any time remaining, we will pad out our runtime with useless and boring filling material. With that, let's move on to the third beacon of Nardal. So, the Beacon of Nardal, this week in gaming and or other Tolkien news. So, what have I been playing lately? Uh, DDO has been uh, definitely on the back burner, as well as The Secret World. I did play a little bit of Marvel Heroes, actually leveled the vision to 22. <laughs> I am sort of interested in getting a character eventually to level 60 in that game, just to experiencing it. And uh, I put in a code I found for Team Iron Man after going to see Civil War a couple weeks ago, which I enjoyed. Um, and uh, I'm not sure if it gave me a free character or not. For some reason, I couldn't figure out if it had granted me something that I wasn't aware of or not. So that was a little disappointing. But, um, you know, I, I continue to be rather novice at Marvel Heroes. Um, but, uh, you know, looking to see, hopefully... You know, if I can get the character a bit higher, maybe into some group content at some point, or uh, try the team-up functionality, which I've never sampled. You know, I think there's some dimensions of the game I'm certainly not getting exposed to at this point. And I think the only way it's going to happen is if I can find someone else to play with, or if I can get uh, exposure to um, some kind of kin in-game, where I can get a bit more shepherding along. I've uh, been playing Clash of Clans a lot recently, of course. There was a recent resource boost um, before a new upgrade that came out, which allowed for several upgrades, including Dark Elixir, uh, allowing me to create speed potions. I've uh, been working my way through my high-level Teslas at 3 million gold apiece. Uh, I did upgrade a barracks that's going to allow me a new... Um, a new air attack uh, baby dragon troop, which is introduced into the game that should be done in a day or two, and I get to see what that does. I did recently finish an upgrade to my hog riders. I think they're now level 5, which took 12 days, and uh, now working on level 3 Valkyrie upgrade. Uh, both of those were 50k elixir apiece. Uh, so collecting that much elixir in the past was problematic, but it is starting to accelerate a bit more now. Uh, while biding my time, I completed the final goblin base attack to close out that deed. And, uh, you yeah, know, continuing to make progress there. Um, I am starting to upgrade stuff that's close to 5 million gold, which is what it would take to upgrade my base to the next in town hall to the next level. But, uh, you know, I think for now I'm content to try to advance most of the things I have at the current town hall level before I take that step. Um, as I think it'll be a bit more advantageous. In Star Trek Online, I piloted my way to Deep Space Nine, somehow found it, and just walked around. Some kind of storyline quest is supposed to follow, but I haven't got a chance to sample it yet. Just kind of geeking out a little bit about one of the kind of premier locations uh, from the lore in the game. And uh, I didn't play much of the South Park Stick of Truth, which I decided was my next project. I did... Uh, 
fired up at one point and my, uh, one of my baby hobbits was watching. I got about two lines into the game and had to shut it down. It is filthy and funny. So I got one line out and done. So what's been going on from a Lotro perspective? Well, Bragg is, uh, of course, at level 105. He has completed all of the Farinorian um, deeds, including the Explorer deeds and uh, the treasure caches and the Entwash can, Karens. Excuse me. Belchy Dwarf. Uh, took some time out to do a whole lot of bingo. When last I left him, he had been in the 21st Hall in Moria. So followed his story all the way out into Lothlorien and into Mirkwood and from there uh, down to the Great River, I believe, and then into Rohan uh, and Dunland. And I've left him now, I think, in the Mead Hall in the Broadacres. And uh, there might be another episode that's come out since then. Uh, we did, uh, well, I won't leave any spoilers for that, but sorry to see some of the some of the fun little characters that he's met on his adventures getting left by the, the wayside and starting to wonder if, um, if perhaps they're winding down this adventure. Uh, I'm not really sure I've read how much longer they intend to go with it, uh, but it's been a fun experiment for the community. I think it's generally been well-received or at least harmless for people that aren't interested into it. And certainly a lot of rewards to be had for following the plot line. Uh, if you if you want pets, you'll get pets. Lots of them. Um, Bragg's been running the featured instances to generate lost coins. I've picked up one or two of the armor pieces from there. And just waiting for some better 105 level essence drops to put those into action. Um, I did get Kindred with the Riders of Rohan, and uh, only one level of uh, reputation left with the Defenders of Minas Tirith. Um, I'm doing some daily Southgate instances to chip away at it while I continue to farm Scrolls of Empowerment, Amphalus Scrolls of Empowerment. Um, so from the new update, Bragg has run uh, both the Silent Street and the Quays of Harland on Tier 1. Quays of Harland... Uh, I thought was fairly easy. Um, I did get trampled once by the Mumac uh, when my healer wasn't giving me much attention, uh, but uh, we did beat that fight on that try anyway, so I kept his attention long enough for us to get by him and found the last boss to be rather simple. Um, the rest of the instance was fairly easy for us, so I don't know if I got into a good group or Tier 1 is fairly simple for Quays of Harland. I think it's somewhere in between probably. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed it. It is kind of weird the way it zigzags, zigzags back and forth across the open landscape. You know, um, when you've got the open landscape, you know, most dungeons and instances in the game are just tunnels or caves where it's, you know, there's only one way to go forward. Uh, when you have an open landscape like that, it's a little different uh, figuring out which way to go next. You kind of kind of follow the dirt tracks. Uh, luckily, the people I've been with had run it previously. And uh, I also ran a Silent Street Tier 1. Um, Silent Street Tier 1 I found uh, fun slash interesting. Uh, you know, decent level of challenge for Tier 1, but uh, not something that we had any problem with. So we made it through on the first try with no wipes or anything, and it was my first time running it. So um, overall it worked well. I do recommend, I believe, having two uh, tanks on the final boss is helpful. Uh, one to stay on the Nazgul and one to scoop up the adds as they approach. And I'm sure in Tier 2, there's lots more mechanics. Uh, you know, Tier 1 is basically, you know, watch out for the fear puddles on the ground. And, uh, you know, besides that, it wasn't too bad. Um, 
so Silent Street was fun and different scenario. Uh, you know, obviously they spent a lot of time building out the landscape for that in the instance. And uh, I did enjoy, I wasn't aware that there'd be such a, an extended vignette at the end regarding the uh, the fate of Denethor and Gandalf's interference into that. So that everyone else left the instance, except for me and one other guy who hadn't been in there before, and we stayed and watched. Uh, I'll probably do that again if I go in again, just to see it at least one more time. Um, that was a pleasant surprise. So, uh, still waiting to do The Black Serpent. I haven't seen it called for as much in, uh, from other podcasts. It may be because of the difficulty level, it sounds like. So, um, so what else have I been doing? Uh, I just did notice there was a port to the Warsteadings available from the Quartermaster there. So, I did some repeatables uh, in that area to pick up a few more rep items needed to trade for that. I did notice the only other thing that's there that really might be worth collecting, I think, is a, there's a Rohirrim female, like a, oh gosh, um, a shield maiden that'll follow you around if you uh, if you have enough rep items. Uh, you know, hey, popular with the ladies. Um, but it's a lot. It's like it's like you know, twenty or thirty or twenty to forty of the carvings and like another twenty of the marbles trinkets. So that would be a you know, fair amount of grind through the dailies uh, to farm all the repeatables needed for that. So, you know, geez, I'm getting so many pets now from bingo and other stuff. How much do I really use it? So I'm not sure if I'll do it. Um, my one idea is I've got alts coming through here that are leveling anyway that are collecting some of that stuff. So I could trade it in and obviously get the rep levels and build turbine points from it. Uh, but I may just collect them from alts and get, uh, get the pet for Bragg, my main. So what else has Bragg been doing? Here's an exciting one. A deed that's been waiting since the game began. And one that I never completed to, to this date. Um, the Hidden Emote Deeds. So, as many of you know, the Hidden Emote Deeds originally were uh, things that had to be, emotes that had to be done to your character in order to count against the Hidden Deed Checklist to achieve the titles, deeds, and or uh, emotes that you would get from them. And uh, they changed that a number of years back so that you can do it to other characters and it's still counted. And at some point in that trend, they also made it so that you could do it to NPCs. So you didn't even need another character in the game in order to be able to advance the deed. Uh, I had previously completed uh, Fire Breather by receiving or giving 100 cheers, uh, mostly from the Winter Festival scaring off the snow beasts or encouraging the snow beasts. I had achieved Hero by um, by doing a hero pose, and I think actually uh, having 100 people bow to me or bowing to 100 people. And I do remember in the early days of my kin, us doing that five to 10 times to each other each day to advance that. And also I had al already achieved sword salute where I had been saluted 100 times from that same way. But I had never achieved the juggler emote, which is when you get laughed at 200 times. For some reason, you know, this is Turbine. Stuff is quirky, right? All of the quirky little deals in the game. You need 100 cheers, 100 bows, 100 salutes, and 200 laughs. <laughs> so I had never achieved the 200 laughs. And I believe the max you could gain on that is 6 times per day versus 5 for the others. Just for uh, shots and juggles, I guess I'll say. So, um, 
interesting. Uh, so I started doing laughs at other characters every day. I'd, get, I'd do five laughs every time I logged in. I was like, I got to get this juggler emote. I guess that was spurred on when they brought the collections panel to the game, and I realized it was one that I hadn't achieved yet. And I was doing it. I was doing it. I wasn't getting it. I wasn't getting it. And I'm like, this is taking forever. So, you know, you start to doubt yourself. Does it really work on the NPCs? I've got to do this for 20 days straight, at least, um, in order to achieve this title. Is it really working on the NPCs or not? Well, if I'm doing it, I might as well get all the other social accomplishment titles that I'd never achieved before. You can become the adorable for getting a hugged hundred times, the alluring for flirted a hundred, befuddled for being confused, beloved for being kissed, dull for being bored, harassed for being begged, helpful for being thanked, infuriating for being angry, insulted for being rude, intimidating for cowering, naughty for scolding, ridiculed for also scolding or being mocked, and victorious for being surrendered to. Uh, which is only needs 40 times, but has a max of two times per day. Again, just to be weird. <laughs> Along with the cower. So I started doing each of these, what, 12 emotes, five or six times a day, just to be safe, to an NPC every day I logged in. And I counted off the days. Five days. Ten days. No titles achieved. 15 days. Here's where I start to think, you know, maybe I did some of these enough in the past, just randomly in RPing or messing about with friends, that some of these start to show up. Maybe it doesn't work and I'm wasting all my time. 16 days. 17 days. And then, suddenly, finally, a title pops up from one of them on the 17th day. Can't remember which one it was. I think maybe the beloved for being kissed or hugged. Then on the 18th day, two more. The 19th day, three more. And finally on the 20th day, they all came in a cavalcade. And so now, Bragg is the adorable, the alluring, the befuddling, the beloved, the dull, the harassed, the helpful, the infuriating, the insulted, the intimidating, the naughty, the ridiculed, and the victorious guardian of ill repute. Uh, so, goes to show once again that uh, sometimes I'm at my best in these games when I have something to grind for and uh, something that's not too painful that you can tick away at a little bit at a time. So one more of the older deeds in the game are complete for brag, the hidden moat deeds. I encourage you to find a post listing them and maybe give it a shot. It doesn't take long. A couple minutes as you log in each day and you'll have it done in a month. What else have I been doing in game? My Bjorning is level 91 and questing around Middlemead, about to finish that, that area. My Minstrel is my second 105 character. She completed the Anorian roving threats for that region's class trait point and finished the epic quest line and most, if not all, of Far Anorian. She's at level cap. And she's got about four Slayer Deeds left in Minas Tirith, which are now reasonable with the latest update. In terms of the trolls, thank goodness, to get my last class trade point for that area. So, uh, aside from that, she also needs about 25 big battle points to crack 200 and get that class trade point. So, I think a couple six mans on the Minas Tirith, uh, the Minas Tirith big battle should do it for that. So, I got two class trade points waiting for me in Minas Tirith that I intend to grind with my minstrel over the next few weeks. Uh, my Cappy is. Uh, still level 100, the fashionable. He's just starting the epic. He's my next project. 
My lore master achieved level 104 yesterday. I expect him to be level 5 with him this week. He completed the epic, and cons considering the best ways to grind the level cap, he's been mostly questing into our Druidan, uh, but also running at least the level 100 box runs from the featured entrance. Uh, so, some... Third time through Tor Druidan, and uh, you know I'm picking and choosing the quests that I'm selecting at this point. Here's a couple things that I noticed that uh, weren't mentioned on some of the other podcasts that came out recently. Um, so did anyone else notice that the, the quest to go find the white stag uh, from out of Tor Druidan far to the east? It's kind of a pain because it's not in the direction of anything else you need to do around there unless you go up to, and and kind of sweep up the uh, the wood corruptors. The Gurdros wood corruptors that are up in that area and clear the air around the Pukulmen, and then maybe head up to Amandine and do a big circle. But um, I did notice that uh, you follow the hoofprints across the forest, and some dev was paying attention and actually had some care. As you cross the rock bridge that crosses the river, there are no footprints. Uh, hoofprints, and you have to figure out where the stag departed on the other side of the rock and pick up, pick up the trail there, much like you would in a real hunt. I thought that was dang clever and uh, nice attention to detail. Uh, one quest that I'm doing with each person that goes through Tordurudan is the wood carving quest because it's a fairly simple quest to get. Um, uh, outside of an instance, I think the best pocket item that I've seen in game, uh, the wood carving that you can pick up that's class specific, it is an upgrade over the Anorian battle books that can be quested by created by scholar, scholars, uh, level 100 uh, with Anorian uh, crafting tier. So that one's definitely worth doing if you do nothing else in that area and you haven't picked up a pocket from an instance. At, as of uh, as of that time, uh, aside from that, uh, you know, people have been complaining about some of the mob densities. You know, the mounted mounted uh, mobs in in uh, the Beacon Hills. I did notice uh, very thick concentrations in the Entwash. If you're looking to do some of the deeds and or quests up in there, um, that might be more challenging with some of the squishier classes. Not a problem for the guard, obviously, or some of the others. Um, and of course the camps, uh, around Amandine are fairly thick. Um, and of course the routes tripping over, not that much fun, but getting used to it and getting better at navigating it. My Berg is level 101, hiding in plain sight, not doing anything. My Hunter is level 100 and languishing in central Gondor. Champ is level 52, and I did have some activity with the Champ this past week. First of all, I ran a rift run with him over the last few weeks um, with uh, a few other, one other level 50 and a few other level 100s. And uh, everybody was rolling on the gems that come out of the rift runs, and my champ won like three or four of them at least. And uh, when I was done, I went to Irelin's camp uh, using a mithril coin <laughs> instead of trying to run through uh, that epic gate in northeastern Angmar. Uh, and um, I bartered for the cosmetic armor set for the champion that comes out of the rift. And I don't know about the other classes, but on a female uh, female human, it looks pretty darn epic. Uh, haven't tried to dye it yet. The color it is looks great. Uh, haven't seen the set running around too much in the game. I'm sure I've seen it before. It must have been popular at the time when the rift was being run constantly. But I, not a lot of people have it. 
So um, I noticed I was just missing the helmet piece that I needed in order to complete it. So I sent Bragg in, uh, soloing the rift all the way up to uh, the dragon room outside the arena to get the last uh, gem that I needed. And uh, luckily that stuff is um, now tradable. So or the item is it goes into your wallet. So my champ was able to redeem it for her helmet piece. And she's now got a full cosmetic set from the rift, which looks great. Very excited about her new look. RK is 42 and doing nothing. Warden is 33 and doing nothing. And that's all I've been doing in game this week. Let's move on to our next beacon. We are at Aralas, and for the fourth beacon of Aralas, I wanted to expand the dialogue created in the Beyond Boss Fights episode by uh, Braxwolf recently. Uh, where he gave some of his thoughts on religion and gaming. And there were quite a few comments on that blog. It struck a chord with a few people. And uh, I just wanted to add a few thoughts to the conversation. So it's never really something I had dwelled on in the past. Um, I had never thought of uh, gaming as something I was doing at the expense of practicing my religion. Uh, practicing my religion is one of many activities that I could do more if I did not game so much. You know, gaming is a recreation, and I'd, I'd like to think that if I wasn't doing that, I would likely be reading or watching movies or something similar. As a matter of fact, when I started getting into MMOs, uh, one of the things I noticed was that uh, I was a big movie buff, and I really like to read read a lot of books, and I started to do less of those two things. Um, and really, I feel like those are the activities that have suffered uh, at the expense of, you know, becoming addicted in gaming. Um, but... There is a point that gaming is intentionally addictive. You know, there are other things that are addictive. For example, binge-watching 14 seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer on Netflix is pretty addictive, I'm sure, even though I haven't done it. Um, but gaming is intentionally addictive, and MMOs are addictive in a way uh, that creates an environment where you can never be finished. So there's always more to do, so it's always hard to log out. Um, so that is a difference in in that particular type of recreational activity that's you know maybe designed to prey upon the human frailties a bit more than uh, than some of the other activities that we've used for leisure in the past. Um, another thing that's a bit different is you know is there less religion embedded in the channel of video gaming or the the industry of video gaming than in other entertainment industry segments? And if so, why? I, I think there is. Um, there's, you know, thousands of books that are out there on religion that have been produced for centuries, obviously. Uh, many movies, you know, many, many TV shows about the history of uh, many different religions, not just uh, Catholicism, but many other areas. You know, gaming is a newer industry, one that has quickly risen to prominence and, you know, achieved... Uh, you know, achieved revenues that, uh, you know, long were only, you know, from other areas. Uh, you know, the kind of money that you can make from a blockbuster movie or a hit novel is now being produced by some of the biggest video game targets in the marketplace. But all that's happened really in the last, you know, in the last 10 years. Video games have been around, you know, for 35, 40 years now. I guess 50 if you really counted some of the old, 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 old stuff. Um... 
you know, 40 is better, a better target. But, but really, in in the last 10 years, has become the force that it is. It's grown, you know, exponentially in that time frame, and um, I think it caters to a younger audience. And I think it tends to cater to an audience that has a bit more of a technology or science focus, uh, both from a developer's perspective perspective and the users who use the games. And, uh, you know, if there's two bastions of demographic that don't gravitate towards religion, you know, as a in their kind of, uh, you know, in their everyday, it's, you know, young, the young, and uh, those that, uh, you know, preach to the altar of science uh, and uh, have a technology focus, you know, not as popular. You know, religion, religion in general is in decline uh, amongst these demographics, I believe, at least, uh, you know, it's not, uh, you know, it's not a, it's not a hard and fast rule, but it's a generalization that I think does apply in a lot of areas. Um, yeah, there's no niche audience like that wants to focus on religious themes in gaming like there would be for a movie or a book that a church could advocate. You know, for example, when the Chronicles of Narnia came out, there was big movements in all the churches to send people out because there were Christians themes that were uh, that came from the author uh, that were in the original book that came through in the movies as well. Uh, I remember growing up watching Veggie Tales with my kids, which often has, you know, very overt religious overtones. You know, other more recent offerings like Jesus of Nazareth or The Robe, or more recently a, a movie called Risen came about about a someone who doubted the, you know, the the uh, the the godlike uh, qualities of Jesus Christ, and uh, you know. Often religious get religions get behind these books and promote them and movies and promote them. I think uh, if they're pro- I did a search on religious video games and came up with you know a couple piddly websites listing maybe ten or eleven. So they are out there, but it's not really something that's caught on yet. Uh, I think religions will catch up and realize this, this is a way to engage their. Um, you know, they're, they're uh, you know, engage their base in a way that hasn't been done before that might appeal to younger demographics if they can figure it out. Uh, you know, you can't, you can't make a Call of Duty <laughs> necessarily that has religious overtones to it, but uh, there are other applications of video games, more creative storytelling aspects of video games that could be represented with religious themes. It's just, it just seems to be a very underrepresented area in that marketplace right now. I think they'll catch up because they usually do. And more and more offerings will come out over time. As a matter of fact, it's not a bad business opportunity to look specifically at that niche. Um, But it's always interesting to me when a church backing makes something successful that might not otherwise have been. I I remember uh, there was a movie a couple years ago called Left Behind starring Nicolas Cage. And it was based on a a book series, a 12 books or so, um, called the Left Behind series, which, uh, you know, dealt with the the themes of of, uh, revelations in the Bible uh, the rapture, where you know all the uh, those without sin are taken to heaven, and the and those that are left behind are the ones that uh, you know uh, have sin that you know are unbelievers that uh, have to deal with the apocalypse that follows. And I, I I like the idea behind the book, and I actually read the first book, and I got about halfway through the second book when I realized it had to be some of the worst writing I had ever experienced. Truly terrible. 
I mean, it was just awful. <laughs> and uh, I, I can count on one hand the number of uh, I can count on one hand the number of books uh, that in the past I've started and not finished. <laughs> and uh, you know, the first is the Silmarillion when I was only eight. <laughs> I was not old enough for it yet. Left Behind was maybe the next one that I can remember. Uh, but they became popular based on the religious uh, groundswell of support. So uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that uh, you know, video games are more violent uh, uh, overall. Um, you know that that it's not unique to that type of entertainment, but it doesn't lend, lend itself to a religious experience until some of these more, you know, perhaps some of these more inventive ways of creating gaming uh, come about and religion catches up. Um, you know, in the end, the amount of time one spends actively worshiping one's religion is a personal choice. It, yeah, it does occur to me occasionally that if I took all the time I spent playing Lotro and other video games over the last eight years and redirected it, I probably could have completed my third novel of my own epic trilogy by now, written and published, or I could have turned myself into a lean, mean fighting machine from working out, or uh, have a completely refinished man cave in my basement. There's lots of things I could have done. But who knows if any of those things would have made me happier or more fulfilled in the end. Uh, it reminds me of a quote a wise wizard once said, I wish I hadn't spent X thousand hours playing Lotro. So do all who make the mistake of typing slash played, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the gaming time that we can get away with. That's all I got for that. Next beacon. Fifth Beacon of Minrimon, and now the original word from our sponsor segment. You know what's fun? Now when I say the beacon names, I'm picturing the locations in the game in my mind. Never was able to do that before. The original word from our sponsor segment. This episode of Light the Beacons is brought to you by the Silent Street Speedy Sanitation Services, or the SSSSSSS. Nobody likes cleaning up a dead steward carcass. Greasy hair, ticking bones, filthy robes covered with cherry tomato pulp all over them. That's why here at Silent Street Speedy Sanitation Services, we take all the drudgery out of the entombment process with our patented Moonkill Power Wash and Immaculate Houses of Healing Grooming Services. We'll have that old cadaver scrubbed and lathered in no time and ready for the eternity of a cold stone embrace. So don't be sorry, you spoiled sovereign stiff is soiled. Spiff and spin him in a split second with silent street speedy sanitation services. <laughs> Let's try that one more time. So don't be sorry, your spoiled sovereign stiff is soiled. Spiff and spin him in a split second with silent street speedy sanitation services. <laughs> Alright, in case you couldn't even understand that last part, it said, So don't be sorry, your spoiled sovereign stiff is soiled. Spiff and spin them in a split second with Silent Street Speedy Sanitation Services. <laughs> I had to translate for those of the hard of hearing. But in the meantime, it's moving on to Callanhad. At Callanhad, I want to talk a little bit about iconic views in the game, and uh, I started to come up with this topic of, uh, last week, and the next day, Lotro published a question to their Twitter 
account asking what are some of the favorite views in game that people have so uh, people were chipping in and I'd already written this so, uh, you know, obviously the devs love the game, uh, they love the landscape, they love Middle-earth, and they wanted to share uh, some of these vistas with us so much, they created a deed for it called Floyd and DeWitt, Part 1 and Part 2, which is all about finding great views in the game. So, I started out to generate a list of the top 10 views and vistas in Lotro, and as I brainstormed it, the list grew and it grew and it grew and it grew until I had uh, 32. So, uh, rather than whittle them down and rank them, I just decided to uh, go ahead and go through them all. <laughs> and uh, you can let me know if I missed any, or if there's any that uh, resonated particularly with you. Now, some of these are beautiful in and of themselves, some of them have special meaning, and some of them are both. So, here are the top 32 views and vistas in Lotro uh, based on my brainstorming activity. Alright, let's start out with... Let's start out with... Uh, I can get rid of the speedy sanitation services. Uh, number one, the view from Bag End, top of the hill in Hobbiton. I had to pick a Shire Vista that struck me most, and uh, the view there is certainly spectacular. And uh, and given its otherwise significance as uh, the beginning of our journey, or the beginning at least of Bilbo and Frodo's journeys, I thought it was worth including. Uh, second one, the view from Weathertop overlooking the Lone Lands. Number three, and that is a Floyd and DeWitt uh, stopping point. Uh, number three, I have a tie. In the instance of Karn Doom, there are fantastic views both from the top of Barishal's domain, looking back over the many bridges and parapets it took to climb all the way up uh, before his bridges got destroyed and uh, take him down. And the second in the tie from Karn Doom would be the top of the Witch King's Watch, which is normally the last location you need to find in order to complete the Explorer Deed in Karn Doom. You have to go past Mordrith Throne Room all the way down to the end of the hallway, and remember to duck your head out into the Witch King's Watch, which has a nice view looking down at the entrance to the Karn Doom uh, castle proper and the surrounding grounds. Number four, the rope bridge atop Urugarth, looking down at the city beneath you. Uh, the first time I walked into that instance and seeing what was ahead as I was venturing into the instance and what awaited me down below was a breathtaking sight. And normally there is a dragon flying around, buzzing your head as well, to add some additional, uh, add some additional character. Number five, Eurellen's camp with the view of the rift. As you look down the giant uh, circular platform with the giant crag coming down into it, it just drips history. Ancient mystery and history. And uh, is a pretty view of itself. Number six, Wolf's Cleft in Dunland. Uh, a unique view in and of uh, itself because of the creation of the new tech which allowed large groups of uh, NPCs to be moving through the camp and create the illusion of activity and motion so effectively. Number seven, the Orc Watch in Moria, uh, or the opposite view from Budkill Beckon, 
at the opposite end, eastern end of the Redstone Loads. Looking out over the Redstone Loads, one of my favorite views in Moria uh, as I stand on top of the platform there and uh, seeing the um, uh, seeing all the the mysterious uh, buildings arrayed out below me, um, you know, to explore. Um, number eight, sticking with the theme and the redstone loads, the the redstone loads, the gate of ruin. Uh, as you enter, looking down into the grand stairs and seeing the platforms that are arrayed below you at the beginning of the instance and the intricate. Uh, patterns that they trace upon the ground and around and around and around. Uh, number nine, the Nars Peak view of Enidwaith, which if you descend up and down ten times will grant you the Master Ascender title. Number ten, the entrance of the Pristine Glade in Dunland. Uh, honorable mention to the Floyd and DeWitt location view, which is right there up the tunnel, uh, looking back into Enidwaith. But this one in particular is looking down into the glade and seeing for the first time uh, the great tree that is worshipped there and the veil filled with flowers. Uh, was a, a very striking sight to me when first noticed in the game. Number 11, uh, atop the Iron Pits in Dunland. Uh, if you're on the railroad tracks at the very top, looking down into the bottom of the pits, uh, there are some very cool views of, uh, of that giant open space. Number 12, top of the High King's Crossing in Evendim, a view that was not even available to you until the Evendim revamp when they created the rope that allowed you to stand on top of the Colossus and look out over Enuminas and the lake and see Tenuter standing across from you there. Uh, an old favorite. As a matter of fact, I've always left at least one tune with that quest open so I could go back and continue to access that view uh, when I feel like looking at it again. Number 13, the top of the Bitter Stair in the Misty Mountains, outside the gates of Halograd, looking back down across the wintry blown landscapes. Number 14, the view of the second hall in Moria from the top of the stairs. Uh, described in the books as the Dwaro Dwarf. You can look down the cascading stairways and you can see uh, from, from the same elevation looking out across the giant uh, stone pillars carved by the dwarves to look like the tops of trees extending into the ceiling. I can visualize it now as I talk and it's, uh, it's one of the more breathtaking examples of uh, dwarven architecture uh, in all of Middle-earth. Number 15, the Dunkovad backstairs into Cardoom. So if you're in Angmar and you go through Dunkovad, there's a back entrance to get into Cardoom that, that sweeps up the black and coal-colored mountain slopes. And you can look back down into the tiny village of Dunkovad and Dun... Uh, what's the name of the other one? I can't remember off the top of my head right now. Uh, back into the slopes of Angmar with the little... Um, with the little villages held there by uh, Banyette, by the Angmarum. And uh, it's a cool sight indeed, especially with the backdrop of the Angmar, you know, bloody, rippling skies above you. Number 16, sticking in Angmar, the top of the arches in the Arena of Maythad in Angmar. The Arena of Maythad must have been a fun group area when it first came out. I never experienced it. For me, it was always a solo adventure and one that I wouldn't risk with an on-level tune. 
But with a Berg that could stealth, I went into the arena and explored it fully and discovered that if you went up the staircases, you could traverse over the tops of the giant arcs um, that uh, that bridge the different walls in Maythad, and from there you can get some pretty cool views. If you haven't tried it, I encourage you to go and take a look. Number 17, the top of the pier in Minas Tirith, looking down at the city, and of course across at uh, Gileath and the red skies of Mordor and the dawnless day. Number 18, the view from Thang Tor, top of the Worm Delph in eastern Rohan, where you can look across the plains of the East Emnet. Number 19, Amon Hen, overlooking the Beacon Hills, uh, right by the falls of Roros. Number 20, the Lorne Settle in Wildermore. Uh, that is the the island that extends out from the town, the main town in Wildermore, uh, that can be reached via the the giant iron bridge. And uh, one one of my favorite views because you can kind of swing the camera back and forth across the bridge and look at the look at the lake below and look back at the hills that dot it. Uh, you know, it's a good view of all different sides of the lake. I'll give an honorable mention to. The thinking spot in the high knolls where you find the bear skin rug with the rabbit sitting on top of it, uh, looking down across the high knolls uh, with a beautiful view as well. Number 21, top of the Dome of Stars, Nas Giliath. Uh, you can uh, go into it on the landscape, not in the instance, and uh, climb over the edge and sit on top of a king's crown and look down at the city below you. And it's a cool view. Uh, let me see. Number 22, the Orlag Den, behind the Mead Hall in Woodhurst. So if you're in Woodhurst and you go up past the Mead Hall, uh, you can either head uh, right to take down one of the monsters from the uh, Monsters and Men quest, or you can head left towards the uh, cave of the seer or oracle that's there. And outside of her cave, there's a nice view of the West Emnet, looking down into Martin and across the plains of Stokes. Number 23, Top of the Holland Ridge in a region, which you can reach if you um, if you follow a very clever path, which will give you the Ridge Racer title deed, and uh, allows a pretty view of the the passages of region uh, from height, uh, as well as the Penda region uh, region to the northwest. Number twenty four. The Beacon of Nardal, overlooking east to Elanok and Amundine, when framed with the red light of the dawnless day. Number 25. The East Gates of Moria, overlooking Lothlorien. Not only is it pretty, especially if you look back at the carvings above your head as you walk out, but there is the, the knowledge of knowing you made it out into the, the fresh air once again. And uh, for that reason, it's a special view to a lot of people on Lotro. Number 26, Minas Gloraloth in Ostgalad, uh, which you can reach if you achieve the Master Ascender deed. Looking up towards Barad Goldur across the forests of Mirkwood, you can see the heights of Barad uh, Goldur with uh, the Nazgul circling it in the skies above it very creepily. Number 27, uh, for those of you that follow the epic quest line, we return once again to Moria. The room of Zerthurk, the secret road in Moria to Zabed Gathol, uh, that the young uh, uh, the young apprentice takes us on, used to be um, the entrance to the from the secret uh, uh, the secret workshop of the carver that made the secret door. 
uh, and as, as you may remember, as you walk in, um, the entire side wall has a giant series of cascading waterfalls across uh, this amazing architecture. And that's, uh, the, your NPC steps for a moment to say, uh, to let you know that he has to uh, stop and take in the wonder of the carvings of his ancestors. And I echo his sentiments. Number 28. The top of Menem Munz in the Silvertine Lodes, looking straight down into the pits of the Silvertines. That is the giant um, framework or, uh, or uh, architecture that allows you to complete the deed for the Explorer in the Silvertine Lodes, which is only accessible from the eastern Gradbug uh, area and uh, has some very cool views of the, of the, uh, the mines uh, splayed out below you. Uh, number 29, looking from Durin's beard south in the waterworks to see the, uh, the waterworks played out before you for the first time. Giant water wheels moving in the distance, water falling from the skies, and, uh, and uh, the moss and algae hanging everywhere with this uh, bright light blue mist uh, upon the whole area. Waterworks, again, one of my favorite areas in the game. Uh, did you seem to notice a theme here with a lot of areas in Moria having the best views in the game? Gosh darn right, you did. Number 30, the Pass of the Dead in the Forbidden City. Uh, I will not forget the first time I walked into the Pass of the Dead and saw the Forbidden City off to the left. Not the one that we enter for questing, but the other one that stands uh, unapproachable and unexplorable, but looks so tantalizingly cool, especially with all the ghosts and uh, spirits uh, flying hither and thither through the air. Uh, number 31, I will give an honorable mention to a recent view that was added in the game, that of the Blue Theater in Minas Tirith. I was extremely impressed with many of the interior spaces in Minas Tirith. Felt like I had to pick at least one for honorable mention on this list, and the Blue Theater is one that, uh, that comes to mind immediately when thinking about uh, some beautiful interior spaces in the game. Looking forward to the concerts there that are coming up in the next few weeks, if I can potentially make it. Number 32, only one left. Uh, I could probably have thought about this and brainstorm and come up with another 20 or 30 to add to the list. But for the final one, I have to mention the entrance to the gates of Imladris. As we first cross over the threshold into Lothlorien, a light shines down from the skies upon us, and we see the hidden valley of the elves, where Elrond dwells. Uh... And uh, certainly that's a game that uh, that those who don't cheat and take the Gandalf secret uh, secret quest shortcut, uh, and if they hightail it uh, themselves up the Brunin and across the, uh, the high knolls there to get to that gate themselves, they will be rewarded with uh, a very memorable view in the game that harkens back to uh, you know a lot of our early memories of Lotro for those who have been playing for a long time. So, uh, the list is long because the list of beautiful landscapes and views in Lotro is endless. And uh, I encourage you to take screenshots and share them with others. And I would love to hear if you can think of any that I missed on this list that you think are crucial. So please write in, uh, either on the lightthebeacons.com website or on my Twitter feed. Just let me know about other beautiful views in Lotro, uh, or ones that I mentioned that you don't agree with. Either way. Either way... It is time now for Blessed Relief. The only beautiful view I'm looking at right now is my pillow. 
And it brings us to the end of the 53rd episode of Light the Beacons, where hopefully I will see the backs of my eyelids very soon. I would love to hear your... I'm sure you are too after listening to this. I would love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique. You can contact me at bragsonofbalan at gmail.com. That's brag with two A's. The second A stands for agoraphobia. Uh, Facebook or Twitter at Ballon or my website at lightthebeacons.com where you can post comments directly on the podcast. And I love it when my viewers do that. Agree to disagree. Let's not go there. I kindly request you take the time to create an iTunes review if perchance you are so inclined. I would very much appreciate it. If your comments incite me to forego my legendary dwarven apathy, I will try to include them in the next podcast or respond in some way. So I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before. Or perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. I appreciate you waiting uh, as uh, my busy life took hold the last few weeks and interrupted my steady flow of content. And I hope you enjoy your week in Middle Earth. This is Bragg, son of Balin, signing off. Baruch Kazad. And remember, the next time someone tells you to check out the view at the top of the beacon of Yoworth, don't despair. Just light it up and burn it to the ground. <laughs>